Welcome to Therapy Extended. I'm Liza Young. My guest today is Ann Blythe, the founder and CEO of Betrayal Trauma Recovery, an online community for victims of betrayal. She's also the producer and host of the Betrayal Trauma Recovery podcast. You can learn more at www.btr.org. Anne has escaped an abusive relationship and is now helping so many heal. I'm very grateful to have her on today to talk about spiritual abuse. Welcome, Anne. I am so glad that you are here um, to give insight into this very sensitive issue. So thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you. It's so good to be here, Liza. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation. This is, it's a hard one, but I think it's an important one. Um, And so we can just kind of dive right in into, um, I know that you, you have a lot of experience, both personally and professionally in this area of spiritual abuse. What would your definition or maybe some signs of spiritual abuse be? So it's really interesting because spiritual abuse can come from anywhere. So it can come from your intimate partner, right? Your, your abuser, or it can come from your faith leader or people around you who are members of your faith. But I also put spiritual faith or excuse me, spiritual abuse in the same category as like maybe new age abuse or a self-help type abuse where, um, it's maybe some common things that everybody thinks are a good idea that in this context actually make the abuse worse. So for example, clergy might say, well, if you really loved him, you would be kind because that's what Jesus tells us to do. Right. right? Or self-help might say, are you being grateful enough? Right. You need to be more grateful. If you were more grateful, then you wouldn't have this issue. So I, I think spiritual abuse in a nutshell is common spiritual or um, self-help type advice that is applied incorrectly in this situation Yeah. in general. Um, the most common spiritual abuse um, that I hear in the evangelical, I'm not evangelical, but I work with a lot of evangelicals, is that um, you need to submit, for example, yeah. to your husband. So biblical sort of biblical abuse in terms of if you just submit, then he will not act like this anymore. And, um, we've found from experience that submitting to an abuser is exactly what he wants you to do. So that's not going to stop the abuse. Right. Right. So there's lots of different ways that abusers uh, use scripture, um, common, you know, forgive type ideas to manipulate their victims. And then a lot of ways, how they get their friends or family or spiritual leaders to also abuse their victims. Yeah. Um, I, I like that you, you bring in the, um, because I haven't thought of that, but there is with the self-help things and, you know, it can go beyond what we just think of maybe as just in the Christian bubble or the, I mean, it goes far beyond just that. So yeah, absolutely. What, your, your personal, um, experience, what is, can you share some of that? Just your personal experience with spiritual abuse? Yeah. Interestingly enough, I would say the person that most spiritually abused me was myself, uh, accidentally. Yeah. Um, thinking that I had to act and be a certain way due to my spiritual beliefs. And 
I still espouse my spiritual belief. I'm Christian. I, um, I'm still devout in my faith. I'm very grateful for my faith. The way that I was interpreting some of the things I was sort of gaslighting myself. I think so many women do that. I, I mean, when I say gaslighting myself, this was not my fault. Right. Right. Um, but when I look back, I think, why did I say that to myself? One of the things was that my marriage vows that I would not break them, mm. that no matter what happened, I was not going to break them. And so I held boundaries. I actually went no contact without um, filing for divorce. And I, I really could have been there for a long time, but I felt really strongly that I needed to not break my marriage vows, yeah. um, which I never did. And then he filed for divorce eventually. But um, I think for me, um, in my faith, the leader of our congregation is called a bishop. So I went through probably seven different bishops who, um, the, that would be the same as like a pastor probably, or, or, a, a priest or something in another faith, but, um, who told me things like, are you available for sex? You need to make sure you're available for sex all the time. Mm-hmm. Or, um, are you being forgiving and supportive enough in his pornography addiction recovery? Um, you know, a, a lot of like, are you doing your part types of messages from clergy? And, um, I would say that that really harmed me, even though I think they were well-meaning. Um, I, I, the end result is abusive because it's harming my ability to see what's really going on, but I do not think that they were intentionally trying to harm me. Um, they were really genuinely trying to help. And because they didn't understand abuse and guess who else didn't understand abuse? Me. I also did not know I was being abused. Um, and so I, I think like that was hard. Even when I figured out that I was being abused and I said I was being abused, I had a couple of clergy who were like, well, you need to forgive rather than how can we help you? What, how can we help you get to safety? What can we do to hold him accountable to make sure he's not abusive to you? I never had that experience. And I, I'm pretty sure most women don't have that experience. Although I am hearing more and more where um, more and more clergy are starting to get it. I would say the general experience is that they just don't get it. They don't understand, especially when there's no physical abuse involved. It's emotional and psychological abuse. And I, I have had, I've experienced both. Um, and I would say, I don't know about other victims, but the emotional and psychological abuse is what is way harder than, um, in my case, my fingers were sprained. He sprained my fingers, but, and punched some walls and stuff that was so obvious that it was wrong, but the emotional and psychological abuse, um, was just so hard to sort out. And then I found myself sort of in that fog, even after going no contact with him for quite a while. And that was hard. Also him manipulating clergy, him manipulating his family members and other people that, and convincing them that his side of the story, which was just all false, false witness, um, was true. That's another form of psychological and emotional abuse. And people don't recognize that. They just think he's telling his side of the story, not thinking that that's also abusive. So, um, I, I remember spending time, uh, I personally decided I would just keep attending church no matter what. And in my faith, we don't have the opportunity to just choose where we go. Our faith is determined by our, um, 
geographical area. So you can't just like leave your congregation, go to a different one. And so I, um, spent a lot of time at church in the bathroom, in the stall, just crying, crying and crying. And I I remember coming out and, you know, maybe one of the male leaders would look at me and say, well, you know, this would be better if you just forgive, um, stuff like that. So that was probably where it just got really hard. One of, um, they also told the whole congregation, do not help her. Don't take her food. Don't do anything because she's part of the problem. And if we do that, we might like be enabling her. So, um, I, I felt, uh, kind of like the tide going out a little bit. Like everyone was like, she's something's wrong with her. So we're not going to like reach out and make sure she's okay. Wow. Um, This was after this was, this was after my ex's arrest for domestic violence. So this happened. And they were still saying that you were part of the problem. Um, Yeah. But it was actually my fault that he was arrested, but I had somehow finagled it or something. Yeah. It was pretty wild. My ex, um, to, to my clergy and people, in my congregation's credit, mm-hmm. my ex is so good at lying and manipulating that they were listening to him and believing what he was saying. And so it was very confusing for them. They, they could not see clearly that he was just flat out lying and manipulating them. And I was telling the truth. They, they were in this, they were in the same fog that I was in. Yeah. And so, um, I don't necessarily blame them per se. They just didn't know what they were looking at. And, and that's how it is for most people when they have, especially with psychological and emotional abuse, when the abuser is, if we're talking spiritual abuse, bearing false witness and saying stuff like she's crazy. She's made this up. She just wants to ruin me, you know, whatever they're saying. So, um, I would say that with every single Bishop, I experienced some form of spiritual abuse, some more egregious and some less, but yeah, it was really hard. Now, now I know more what I, now I know more about it. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier to get help. It's also easier to explain what's going on. So when you're talking spiritual abuse, like I think it's good to hold like kind of a little bit of space to know, like, they're not going to know more than you. And, and so you not knowing what's going on, just like maybe keep a place in your heart for forgiving them. I do. I do also want to say there, there is legit abusive clergy out there, right? Men who are abusive to their wives, men who are looking at porn, who are in leadership. And, um, and that is awful. So in that case, they really would actually be not well-intentioned. They would be abusers as well. Isn't that a a huge problem? Like you said earlier, as far as like with your ex, I mean, he was so believable and so many are so charismatic and everybody loves them and they're, you know, great quote unquote godly men. And it's so hard to believe that that person would be doing anything that you're saying that they're doing. That's part of the problem. Yeah. Or even if they, let's say it's, let's say it's porn. That's let's say you can't see the emotional and psychological abuse. And the only thing you know about is the porn. Mm -hmm. So you go in and you'll say something because you don't really know you're being lied to or manipulated. Right. And so the, the view in that moment is that this is such a great guy with this little problem. And that's sort of the, the, an abuser will groom everyone around them, their wife, clergy, their whole congregation, um, therapists, you know, whoever they'll groom everyone 
to the, the, what they want is a baseline character of a good guy. Once that baseline character of a good guy is established, they can kind of do anything sort of every once in a while. They can't do it all the time. Once a month, once a week, you know, whatever. And then that is like, oh, they were under a lot of stress. Oh, they just lost it. Um, oh, like you provoked him or, you know, whatever. They have some kind of excuse every once in a while to behave badly. So if the people in your congregation or your neighborhood or, or your family perceive of him as a good guy, and that's the foundation, then it's really hard to realize that this is not a good guy. What this is, is he is a an abusive person, operates from an abusive perspective. He's been wearing a mask around everyone, and he's taking great pains to make sure that that mask does not come off. And you see that mask come off every once in a while. That is what you're dealing with. And they, they have a really hard time like wrapping their heads around the mask idea because these abusers take great pains to ensure that they are protecting their public image. It's really important. A lot of these guys, they can quote scripture. They yeah. give excellent like sermons or talks or um, Sunday school lessons. They, they show up at every single service project they're, you know, if someone needs help moving, they're the first person there because they're really cultivating that, um, good guy image and that they want to guard that with their life. Like my ex would never miss a, uh, congregational activity. Never, you know, and I'd be like, I'm tired. You know, I don't care. I'm not going to go to this dinner or whatever. Who cares? They're going to have another one like next month, you know, never really mattered to me, but he was like, we have, we have to go. We have to show up. We have to show up and our kids have to be there, you know, and we just have to look like we're always involved. And I, um, I would say I'm definitely more spiritual. Like I actually have my own spiritual like relationship with God, but he was way more churchy. So uh, that was the other issue is that to the congregation, I look less spiritual than he does because he shows up and does all these things. And whereas I'm privately maybe praying, they're not, they're not seeing that I'm privately reading my scriptures. They're not seeing that, but he is very publicly reading his scriptures. So also to the congregation, he seems more like straight and narrow, right. than I do. Cause I'm like, "Eh, whatever, no, I'm not making brownies for the thing, you know, and offending people or whatever. <laughs> Making brownies for the thing. I get it. Um, so, and I think what you said about uh, you were actually the, you just kind of spiritually abusing yourself in so many words. It, I mean, that is so insightful because all these messages, especially if someone, if you grow up in the church, right, or in mm-hmm. religious community where um, you were constantly hearing messages after messages after messages about, um, and, and some messages that are fantastic in healthy relationships, but don't match up to an abusive relationship, right? And so um, in some messages that, um, quite frankly, uh, just need to be really looked at a little harder, <laughs> I think that aren't necessarily, I'm no theologian, you know, I'm, but um you know, there's just a lot of messages that we receive right from the church and that can perpetuate abuse. And mm-hmm. um, some of those that, that you've mentioned, like the submission or um, well, you just need to forgive. Um, what, what are some some others that you've seen that um, 
either uh, an abuser or church leaders say that's kind of even victim blaming, like you mentioned earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, my faith doesn't say this. So if I say this incorrectly, and you know the right way to say this, then please do. But I have heard from my other from from my friends of other faiths that like spiritual headship, oh yeah, is a big deal. Okay, kind of the home, the spiritual. Head. Yes, yeah, that kind of thing. My faith doesn't. Nec- they don't call it that. My um, and my faith lately has been really pushing like that. You are equal partners, which is awesome. Fantastic. But I. Other people's are saying that a lot. So I know that that is a common one, the spiritual headship. Um, I think that the men should be the providers and the protectors can be abusive depending on the situation, right? So um, a lot of men, a lot of abusive men won't provide, which I think isn't like they, they just are, they won't work. They're just playing video games all the time and they're manipulating their spouse. So that's not to say that, <clears throat> that like that, that people shouldn't say that people need to pull their own weight, but um, those types of ideas, like women maybe don't need an education or they should um, be working. They shouldn't be working outside the home. Um, something like that can keep a woman trapped. Now that's not to say that a woman who wants to be a stay at home mom should not do that. If that's what her choice is and what she wants to do and also what's right for her family. Um, but the idea that, you could sort of, um, I think the thing that's the heart of this is any teaching or idea where a woman's role is to sort of subvert and submit herself and sacrifice her entire life to build her husband up, but not necessarily have a life of her own. Yes. I think that is the main problem instead of saying, well, she's got ideas and she has dreams and, and her dream might be to to be a stay at home mom and like grow zucchini or whatever. Like, I don't know what that dream is, but she has her own ideas and thoughts and, and her whole role is not to be Mrs. John Doe, right? right? She is Anne Blythe. That is who she is. And she's not your property or your whatever. And there are so many um, sort of religious ideas that come out of that. And some people really don't like the word misogyny, but I will use it here. Or feminism. Like I've noticed a lot of uh, religious people are like, oh, that's like the devil's word or whatever. Right. So I, I, I but I want to point out that all that means is that women are people too, and that have thoughts and feelings and ideas. And the idea that we need to like, submit all of that or subvert all of that or sacrifice our personalities or anything else to support someone else um, is I think just innately abusive and because it doesn't recognize her as an individual. It, it It's more like her purpose yeah. is to serve him. Yeah. And that I think is problematic. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I, you know, I, I don't know, I go back to the fact that in, you know, as a Christian, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus died for an individual, not a marriage. Now that's not to say that the marriage unity and all that, you know, is not beautiful and sacred in its own right. So I'm not just, you know, throwing that out there, but he came to set the individual free and to say, you know, and so, I don't know. There, that's just a 
I could go off on a tangent on that one. Yeah. Talking about that. So, so there's a lot of um, scriptures and uh, religious teachings around separating yourself from wickedness, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, don't associate with wicked, you know, that kind of thing. And whenever anyone talks about this at church, they're always talking about it in some sort of secular sense, right? Like the people down the street that, that, that are, you know, believe this politically or they're doing this or whatever, you know, I don't know. They're just, they're always talking about sort of outside the church. Yeah. Instead of saying, do you have wickedness and deceit in your own home? Mm. Because in that case, you also need to separate yourself from your own family members, right? Yes. And that sounds really harsh, but I think the thing that that we that religion says that the worst case scenario is divorce. Right. And that is not the case. The worst case scenario is a, being abused in an abusive relationship. That is the worst case scenario. And so the other thing is that if you don't get a woman, some type of help who is being victimized and you say the marriage is the most important thing, she will always get the short end of the stick. Like that always benefits the abuser. Always. It doesn't ever benefit the victim. And so thinking of it from that point of view is important too. Um, the, the, like you don't divorce or you shouldn't get divorced or God hates divorce or, you know, ideas like that. I don't think are true. When we look at, um, there's a great book by Sarah Bessie called Jesus feminist. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And there's, um, I've not, it's really good. And there's another, um, just, just from the Bible, Jesus is frequently talking to women. Yeah. <laughs> he's frequently ministering to women. He's frequently like, don't throw stones at this woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or, and so I, I just can't help but think, but like, he yeah. really loves us and cares about us and he does not want us to be harmed. Um, he does not want us to submit to wickedness. In fact, throughout the scriptures, it's saying don't submit to wickedness. And that is what women are doing when they're submitting to abuse. Right. Right. And that, that goes along with the, you know, weaponizing of of scripture that is um, a huge tool that they use. Like we talked about wives submit to your husbands. Um, And let's continue talking about that, that the whole submission thing, because um, that, that's, I think that's one of the biggest ones. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, let me hear your, your view on, I guess, what that, means or what it should mean in the sense of, you know, because I think, I think there are, it's, if you take one verse from the Bible and you just, you know, place your agenda on it, um, it, and then you take the rest of the verses in the Bible, (laughs) you know, does it align with that? Does it align with, you know, what you're saying? And so, um, because what you're saying, there there are so many beautiful times in the word where there are strong leaders, women leaders, and strong women leaders, and um, and times where Jesus is very connected to women and just kind of everything that you just said. And so then, though, some people will take certain verses and use it for a certain agenda, and it doesn't match anything else that is the mm-hmm. heart of God. You know, so anyway, that's kind of how I feel with about the whole submissive, you know, wives submit to your husband piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So that's 
what one or two scriptures or something, right? Submit to your, I mean, maybe six. I don't know. But if you're, if you're like, wait, there are like 480, I'm just making that, that up, but, um, scriptures that say separate yourself from wickedness. Why are you choosing these six? Right. And I, I want women to think about who is focusing on this particular scripture. It's their abuser or people who are trying to get her to be quiet. Right. Basically like don't Small speak, in line. you know, that, that scripture of like, don't women shouldn't speak in church. Now I, I, I have to say I'm a decidedly at a disadvantage when it comes to this specific topic, because um, although I've studied the Bible since I was a kid, I am quite the rebel. And so when I would read these scriptures, I'd always be like, like, I don't know what dude in the, I don't know what dude in the 1600s like translated this wrong, but this is not right. And so I never really had a problem being like, uh, some dude in a monastery somewhere got this wrong in the 1600s and uh, I don't know. And just kind of like the stuff that didn't make sense to me, yeah. you know, it's weird. Cause my faith is so like, I 100% with like a hundred percent absolutely believe that Moses parted the Red Sea, which sounds impossible, but I'm like, I, I absolutely can see that in my mind. I can see the water going up. Like I know that happened. At least I think it happened. And other people are like, well, that must be impossible. We have to explain it some other way. You know, the wind came up or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know you, whatever. But the, like the submission scriptures, those are the ones that I'm like, no, I don't know. I just, mm, no. So, um, that's one way to look at it. Um, another, but I have had several people on my podcast who are not rebels like me, who, um, are, who have really considered this. One of them is Tom pride from Psalm 82 initiative. Mm -hmm. And we've done several podcasts about this scripture. One of the things he mentioned was that in the context of the scripture, it's talking about both husbands and wives submitting to each other equally. And the other thing he mentioned is you cannot willing a submission is an act of will. And so if you're being forced or coerced or deceived or something like that, then you can't actually submit. You're just being beaten into it. And that's not true submission. So for example, God does not do that to us. He's not like, if you don't submit your will to me, then you're, I mean, actually he kind of does. You're going to hell. That is (laughs) what he says, but he gets choice. Yeah. And also he's very kind and gentle. Yeah. And And he's not lying to us and other things, but in this case, like, are you really submitting yourself to righteousness? I think the thing he wants is for us to submit ourselves to his will. And his will is that a husband and a wife can come together in a beautiful, healthy relationship. I mean, that's, everyone wants that, but this is not that. And I, God cannot want us to submit ourselves to wickedness. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. There's nothing about it that makes sense. And so like, if, if you really think, what am I submitting myself to? Yeah. A a demon. I mean, some, these, some of these guys, they are literally like, they, they seem to be possessed or something. Like, I do not know what's going on with them, but they are not righteous people. No. And I, I agree. I mean, I think that there, you know, the interpretation there can be skewed and um, in that it, if you look at God, he, 
he gave us choice from the very beginning, you know, the choices in the the garden. And I mean, he doesn't want us to be robotic in our love. I mean, he doesn't want us to be slaves. His whole thing is about freedom. That's his thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's like, okay, submit does not mean slavery. It's, it's, um, and I remember, and I listened to that podcast that you're talking about that you referenced. And I think he used the word like cooperation. Yeah. It's like this, um, it's not forced. You're, you're cooperating with each other. And I mean, even after that verse, and I, I, you know, is it goes straight into talking about husbands, love your wives, wives. Like love the church. And he died for us. So exactly. Yeah, he I, sacrificed his entire life. Right. Yeah. And, and that's not, that's not a, like, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. not what these abusive men are doing. They're not doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going into continuing with the manipulation of scripture and just those messages that we've heard, you know, growing up in, um, what about the, the, the use of, um, some of these scriptures as far as coercing or even sometimes forcing their partner to perform sex, sexual activities, things like that? Um, I think the foundation of that is actually not biblical, even though people use it for biblical. I think the foundation is this sort of misogynistic view that men must have sex, that if they don't have sex, it's like breathing. It's like drinking water. They will die. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently they've, they've got that foundation. Right. And so then they end up applying scriptures, miss, they misapply them because that's their basic viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you take that out of the equation, like, you know what, it is totally possible for a 17 year old high schooler to not have sex. So why is it not possible for a 45 year old man to not have sex? Like, like, I, mm, and then, you know, if, if once he gets married, apparently, apparently at this point, when he start when he gets married, he must have sex or he will die because <laughs> before that he didn't die at all. And he wasn't supposed to have sex. Right. And he, he wasn't dead. In fact, he was so not dead that he was able to get married crazy, but true. So then he gets married and then he's somehow going to die if he doesn't have sex. And so the wife is responsible for all this. So heaven forbid she get in a car accident and have a coma. Heaven forbid she have a baby because I know you're supposed to have like 12 babies apparently, but then you're not, you're also not supposed to on medical advice, have sex for what, six weeks after. So is he going to die, you know, in that two months? No, he's not going to. And I remember uh, my doctor who is, who's Christian, my OB. And I said something about that because I was worried about that after my first baby. And he was like, I'm Christian. Don't worry about it. You know, he's not going to die or whatever. And I thought, yeah, like, so if the, I think like take away the foundation, the men are going to die. Yeah. And then, and then what do you have, right? Mm -hmm. You have a, just a request from the Bible to have a loving relationship that really what it actually means is that you're one, that you're united. Yeah. And there's no way you can be united if one of you is lying to the other one and deceiving the other one. And so in that case, 
sex is, should be off the table because it is not healthy. So, um, I think just reinterpreting those scriptures as saying, like, if you are united spiritually, mentally, you know, if you really are healthy, then sex is a really important thing for you to unite and come together on it. Otherwise this is the same thing where it's just submitting yourself to wickedness and it's not a good idea. Yeah. It's not a good idea before you're married. You know, we're not, I, at least me, I'm not real. I'm not concerned about these 18 year olds who aren't married yet exploding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and neither is any Christian person on the face of the earth, right? All Christian parents are really encouraging their children to wait until they're married to have sex. So it just, it, it's just not logical. And, and that, I think that's one thing about the biblical stuff that, um, that kind of makes me mad. I think is like, just think this through people. Like, like I, I know everything should be based on the word of God, which is awesome. I love it. I agree with it, but like, like what you're saying actually doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like would God actually be saying that men are going to die if they don't have sex. And so women, if you don't give him what he needs, you have sinned. Right. Right. Because this is so important that you are sinning. If you don't have sex with him. Um, no, no. Or that it's your fault. If he strays or watches porn or has an affair because you, right. Because of what, like it's your responsibility he, somehow he's not, so uh, also after he's married, he's not required to obey the commandments, right? His wife is required to make sure that he obeys the commandments through her. Like that, none of that makes sense. You're not a godly person. If you have to have someone managing you all the time, um, in any way, whether it be sex or with anything else, like that's not a righteous person. That's like a, that's like a four-year-old in a 45-year-old's body. Well, I mean, it's the, you know, the, okay, if you, if you don't have sex with me, you know, then I'm just going to go and watch porn, you know, and especially if there's porn addiction or sex addiction of some kind and okay, well, you've got to, you've got to satisfy that you're not his methadone, you know, you, you, you don't have to do that. Um, But I know that some also, again, some pastors, clergy, whatever, you know, that how, how are you satisfying you? You know, are you available to him? Those kinds of things that, that feed into that as well. But I would just say, what is he, what's going to happen if I drop dead? Right. How is it? Right. How in is that case? Thing? In that case. So, so for some reason, when you're married, if your wife won't have sex with you, what's going to happen to him? But if you're not married and someone won't have sex with you, do you just have sex with some other prostitute? Like, what are you talking about? It just does not, there's no part of it that makes sense. Well, and I think it goes along with what you said earlier about just that, that belief of they have to have it. There's also, um, to some degree, there's some beliefs out there of once we are married and I'm the head and you submit and that, that whole thing, your body is mine. There's that as well. And in all of those things create a, a, just a horrible scenario for marital rape as well. Yes. The thing. 
Yes. Yeah. No it's- always means no, even if you are married. <laughs> Right. Yes, absolutely. I, for some reason, I'm reminded right now of of um, this moment in my life mm-hmm. when I had been telling everyone that my husband was using porn, and he was very mad about it. And he came in and said, "Look, I, you know, I've admitted to you. It's okay if you tell your family, but I just don't want you telling anyone else that I've been using porn." And I did not skip a beat, and I said. Well, I didn't want you using porn. So we both are doing something the other person doesn't want. It seems even to me. That's so great. I was just like, I'm done. Like, like, okay, fine. You're, you don't want me to do this. I also don't want you to do this. So we're even. Yeah. Right. And so kind of the same thing with like submission and stuff, right? It's like, okay, you want me to submit and I want you to obey the commandments. So we're both doing things that the other person feels uncomfortable about. It's fine. Yeah. Like, um, and women are really, for some reason, they're afraid to have that type of equality, right? That's, that's technically the, that's technically equality. When he says, I don't want you telling anyone. And I'm like, well, I don't want you looking at porn. Boom. Okay. So I'm going to tell people and he's going to use porn, right? Like, that's not great, but same thing with like, I want you to submit and her saying, well, I'm not submitting because I don't want you to do this thing. Right. And so that, that, that's, technically equality. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, so many women just aren't willing. Um, they, they don't know they can yeah. actually, they don't know they can. And then even if somebody like me is like, have you ever considered it there? I don't know if it's like the emotional abuse or the psychological abuse or, or just upbringing or traditions or, you know, their whole culture or whatever, but they're just so afraid to do yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, I, like I said, I, I'm kind of a rebel. So I was sort of doing that before and I've always been a little bit combative. <laughs> well, when it comes to like fight, flight, or freeze, you've probably yeah. talked about that on your podcast before. I'm a fighter. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be a freezer or a, a, something else, but yeah, it's not in my, it's not in the cards for me. I, I don't think anyone is, I don't think any, um, one of those is better because I ended up just fighting them all the time, but it didn't stop the abuse. So, yeah. um, yeah, but it is like, it's okay to say, I, well, you know, I know you want me to submit to you, but I don't want to submit to wickedness. So I guess we're even, I'm going to go watch TV. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that when it, when you grow up with these messages, and even if you don't grow up, when you're just in in a, a relationship where you hear these things over and over, um, it is very silencing right? Mm-hmm. The, the words of submit and um, listen to him. He makes the decisions because he's the head of the household and, um, you know, just forgive because that's what God wants us to do. All of those things, right? Just um, keep praying for him. All of these things that are quote unquote good Christian things to do um, really silence voices, mm-hmm. honestly, well, right? And that's what their intent is. That, right. So yeah. women, women think like, I feel so silenced. I feel like I can't say anything. And I, I always want to remind them that is the intent. Yeah. That is what they want. Like, and so, uh, or I'm so afraid that is the intent, right? So abuse works. Mm-hmm. It works. Like it gets the intended effect. They want you to shut up. They want you to sit down. They want you to stay in your lane. They want you to have sex with them. You know, the, the, and so, um, 
one of the things Tom Pride always says, he has this coin that says, I will not comply on it. And that is, is one of the ways to get out of abuse, right? Is just, you know, maybe in subtle ways, if that's not your personality, it depends, but, but it is the intended effect. And so, um, if we speak up, the abuse isn't working and then what's going to happen. The abuse is going to escalate. So women need to be aware of that, um, and try to make sure that they know that they're safe. But, um, so it's think about what you're doing that you, that like, just, sorry, not you specifically, but just the general you. And if you feel comfortable with it, and if you feel like I can't speak, then, then just know that that's what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and especially when you are getting to a place where you are wanting to, um, start to speak up for yourself, start to set boundaries, maybe even start to you know, thinking about leaving or, or leaving, you know, whatever it is, it, it, boundaries especially can be tricky because I think for Christians, because it, they, it feels mean sometimes, right. To, to set a boundary or to, and this is why I think it's so important to have coaches and therapists that understand this to really help you walk through the, these, these parts, because yeah, a lot of times it can escalate and can get dangerous, but it can also be so freeing on the other side of that. Um, but I would like to hear kind of just how you were able to heal from, from all of these things and what would be helpful for the listeners. So a lot of women due to the spiritual abuse of their partners and their clergy and other people have lost their faith, which, um, I don't blame them for, right. I mean, that it makes sense in this context that they would like, uh, I I've met with women who I'll say, Hey, can I pray with you or something? And they're just like, you know what? I can't even pray right now. Or they they don't want to hear a scripture or something. And in that, in that way, I don't blame them because it's such an experience of trauma for them. Mm -hmm. I have, um, friends who feel they get triggered or they feel trauma when they see a man in a suit, for example. Um, and so one of the things that, um, that I want to focus on is what women like if, if your faith is something that you value and that you really want in your life, um, don't let your abuser take that from you. Yeah. There are lots of different ways to deconstruct it. And so that you can know that God loves you and that the scriptures are there to actually help you and see you and, um, bless you and that, that he can't take that from you. Now for the women who have decided it's just not for them. Also, I just, I don't want to like try and like coerce you into coming back to your faith or anything. I'm, I just want, I just want to say like, think about if that's the case, if he's also taken that from you, Yeah. um, deconstructing what we've the, the abusive messages and the abuse around the spirituality is really important in order for us to be able to heal. I love the scriptures. I read them every day and I love scriptures about, um, wickedness, casting out devils, deliverance. There's so many scriptures about deliverance. And I encourage women to pray for deliverance rather than praying that their marriage will survive or rather than praying that he'll change or something or repent, like pray for deliverance. 
And don't just pray for it for you, pray for it for all of us, because even though I'm divorced, I'm still dealing with my abusive ex. So we, we literally need deliverance. The courts aren't helping. Um, and for me, um, spending a lot of time in the scriptures reading about, um, there's a, there's a, a, a scripture in my faith that says true religion is this helping the fatherless and the widows. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that I am a widow and, um, my children are essentially fatherless, even though they go with their dad every other weekend, because he's a mess and he's a psycho. So they, you know, they don't have a, a, a legit father. They have a man who is their earthly father. Who's like a three-year-old and a 40 year old's body, but that's not an actual father for them. And how like God really genuinely loves us. I um, listened to Isaiah. I actually rewrote Isaiah 54 um, and I like recorded it and I listened to it. Yeah. Um, Actually, you know what? Do you want me to read it? I would love to hear it. It's really good. And I think people will like it. Let me just pull it up really fast. Um, So using scripture to feel more um, close to God has helped me. And then just knowing that like you can interpret scripture the way that you want to, you don't have to, um, interpret it the way that your abuser did or, okay, sorry. Just trying to find this here. It's fine. Well, and it's, it's the, you know, the scripture and even asking God to help you interpret it correctly. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's, you know, he, he meant it in the way he meant it. And he wants us to receive it in the way he meant for us to receive it and not through the lens of misogyny or or things like that. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, and also no one else can tell you where you stand with God. That's right. That is such a, he created you and your soul. And that is 100% the most personal. um, It's and it's very empowering because that is yours and yours alone. You know, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I've found it. So I'm going to read it to you guys now. So this is my version of Isaiah 54. Where is it? Sorry. It'll take me. I found it the right document, but now I'm trying to find it on here. It's fine. Okay. Here we go. Sing beloved woman. You who were never loved in marriage burst into song shout for joy. You who were never cherished in marriage, because more beloved are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a loving husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your your tent curtains wide, don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandon you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. As part of the journey, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. 
To me, this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to abandon you. I will never abandon you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Just two more verses. Afflicted city lashed by storms and not comforted. I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness, you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. It is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Oh my goodness. That is so good. It's so good. That's one of my favorite, the, the, you know, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And the, just that he is going to vindicate. Right. And he's talking to you as an individual. He's not talking to the couple, right? Right. There's this, there's this, there's this absolute misinterpretation of like, Satan is the enemy, not your husband. And I'm like, but if your husband is possessed by Satan, then he is the enemy technically, right? Like, yeah, like wickedness is the enemy here. Yes. And he happens to be wicked. Yeah. Right. So, so this is, this is for you, the individual, not for your marriage or your family. It's for you. Love it. I love it. Uh, Thank you so much for that. And um, and everything you've shared here. And before we end, though, I, you have written a new book, and I'm so excited about it. I love it. So will you share just a little bit about this book and um, so that the listeners can go and get it? Yeah. So I'll just preface it a little bit. Um, educating people about abuse, educating ourselves about abuse is a layered ongoing process. That's one of the reasons I started podcasting. That's why you're podcasting. It's so hard to really wrap our heads around all of it because it's so complex. So my podcast betrayal trauma recovery, it's on Apple podcasts. You can find it there and on other podcasting apps is good, but this isn't something that you might like, you know, a clergy is not going to listen to 200 episodes or whatever. So, um, My book is called Trauma Mama Husband Drama, and it's a picture book for adults. And the reason why I did it like this is because it's, it's kind of reads like llama llama, you know, Mm -hmm. holiday drama, the books. And the purpose of it is that a clergy or family member or someone else could just flip through it and see the, the visuals on it. And the illustrations are amazing. And they really like, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. So, um, the idea is that they could just read it very, very quickly. There's a bunch of infographics in the back and that it covers all of the main major concepts quickly. Now, will that help them completely understand abuse? No, because it's a layered ongoing thing, but at least it's, um, a way to maybe make them stop and think for a second about 
some of the general things that uh, victims are going through. And you can find this book and a curated list of all the books that we recommend on our website, btr.org slash books. And um, yeah, it's on Amazon and it's so excited. I I have good. I love the illustrations are fantastic. Um, but I love that you did put the infographics in the back of just some bullet points of different things and just because it's just a very precise um, kind of to the point like this is this is what this looks like. Mm-hmm. And it just it's very educational in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's brilliant. So many people are visual learners, too. And we do a lot of talking. Right. But like this is sort of this visual way of looking at it. Same with the infographics, um, more of a like graphic way of describing it rather than trying to explain it or, or just like, like Lundy Bancroft's book, like, why does he do that? That we recommend every it's so thick and it's just a bunch of words and it's sort of hard to process everything all at once. So the idea of this was to break it up visually so that people could process it maybe a little bit quicker. Well, it's wonderful. Um, I love that you did that and everything that you're doing, the podcast and your website and the resources, the the support groups that you have. And I'm going to put all that in the information um, section of of my podcast so people can go there. Um, I, I just am so thankful for you and everything you're doing. And thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely.